Good morning. Is there no end to the drama? It would seem not. Just before 1am on Friday, the resignation of the chair of the board of RTE, Shuni Rahala, all prompted by an interview on primetime with Media Minister Catherine Martin, where Minister Martin said she had been misinformed by the chair of the RTE board about the board's approval of recent exit packages. Have a listen. The Minister of Media must be in, in, you know, in, in possession of the facts of the exact information, especially in a time of, of a crisis and controversy like this. But I, I would like to say, though, um, Shuni Rahli uh, has done incredible work um, in, since she came on as, as chair. Um, I think especially since this crisis um, erupted, and I, I would not like to acknowledge that, but I do feel I, I need to meet Shun to just talk through exactly how this arose. How could I be misinformed on, on these two occasions? And then Miriam O'Callaghan asked Minister Catherine Martin if she had confidence in Shuni Rahali as chair of the RT board. What I'm saying is that an issue has emerged today um, on, on foot of me, me being given um, the incorrect information on two occasions this week. Um, and I, I'm reserving the right to make any further comment in relation to that until um, the chair is afforded the opportunity that I have written to her and, and asked her to meet me early in the morning. Are you going to remove Shuni Rahala from her position as chair of the board? I have to give everything consideration, but again, I, I need to hear from, from Shuni Rahali first. I think it's only right and fair that um, Shun explains this um, situation to me. For Shuni Rahala, words like misinformed and deeply disappointed demonstrated to her that it was abundantly clear she did not have the minister's confidence. She was leaving. And all of this after two long and separate meetings this week between the minister and the board chair as to what and all of this after two long and separate meetings this week between the minister and Shuni Rahala as to what the board knew and their approval of any exit packages and what had come before the remuneration subcommittee. In particular, details relating to former Chief Financial Officer Richard Collins. As the day progressed, it became a question of who knew what when, yet again. On the news at one, Brian O'Donovan parsed Nirahala's statement. She does acknowledge some fault on her behalf and she says, I neglected to recollect that Richard Collins' exit package did go before the remuneration committee. This was not an intentional misrepresentation and I subsequently contacted the department to clarify the details and remind them that had previously appraised them of this matter. So I suppose from Shuni Rahali's perspective, what she's saying here is that again, we come back to this line of we assumed you knew, we took it as read that you knew, we had told you last October, we thought this was the case. However, she does say that she had neglected to recollect that the Richard Collins' exit package did go before the remuneration committee. And I suppose what's interesting Plug in the kettle, you may need more coffee or indeed any stimulant of your choosing. With Claire, Fionnán Sheehan, Ireland editor of the Irish Independent. Shoni Rally is saying the question she was asked is, was the board aware of these exit packages? And the answer to that question is actually no. Was she aware? Yes. Was Rory Coveney's uh, exit package approved by her? No, she was just aware of it. 
Was it approved by the board? No. Was it approved by the remuneration committee? No. Was Richard Collins approved by by the board? No. Was it approved by the remuneration committee? Yes. So there's, on the basis of, of one element of the equation here, <laughs> well, the minister has decided, I don't have confidence that you, you're going out the door. She shouldn't, surely the minister shouldn't have to drag the information no, out of and, the RT and chair. I, I, I think Shuni Raleigh is, is openly ad- admitting that she she did give the wrong information to the minister mm-hmm. uh, at that meeting that that she should uh, have said it did however go through a process let's bear in mind as well this actually came up with the Oireachtas committee last uh, week that Kevin Backhurst outlined the new process that was in place to avoid any of the stuff that happened uh, in in the past that where a, a, a settlement or an exit was being negotiated, that if necessary, that would be notified to to, to the, the secretary, uh, the, sorry, the director general, the HR director would notify the director general. The director general would bring it to to a subcommittee of the board if necessary. So he he outlined that process, which is actually the process that was followed here. Yes. So Shuni Rahi is actually being sacked for following the process that should have been in place and all but, along. But I not, think that's remembering what are saying, not remembering it, but not remembering it during remember, extensive meetings this week with the Minister. Where she is saying a, a wide variety uh, of issues uh, are, were, were brought up and she then is the one who goes back and, and, tells, the minister, and, and tells the department, by the way, I should have said this the other day. So and to be clear, Shuni Rahala was not actually sacked. She resigned. Anyway, onwards. On Morning Ireland, Chair of the Public Accounts Committee Sinn Féin's Brian Stanley. He took issue with the manner in which Minister Martin conducted herself. I firmly believe that the Minister, you know, jumped the gun a bit here. So you're saying the Minister jumped too early, but you agree with the fact that she jumped, do you? Well, that depends on what comes out and what I want to clarify this, I want to be fair to people. Right, that would depend on what came out of the meeting today with her, with Shuni Riley, and and the minister. But the minister didn't wait for that. Uh, and the minister, minister may have made the right decision. The minister may not have made the right decision. But what I'm saying is, is Shuni Riley overnight at one o'clock this morning, as you understand it, issued that comprehensive statement. There's a number of lines in that statement that raises questions, particularly the ones that you've just referenced there now and that we've discussed. And the minister should have waited until then to trash that out with Shuni Rahali, to get to the bottom of it and to hear her explanation. Mm-hmm. And then she would have made a judgment on it. But I think the problem is, is that when a minister goes on television uh, without any uh, notice, I presume, to Shuni Rahali or anyone else and doesn't express confidence, refuses to express confidence in the head of the board of RT, that creates a whole new situation. This was turning political, or rather, even more political. Back to Fionnán Sheehan, who understood that all three coalition leaders knew that Minister Martin had questions about the chair. Are we to take that? Take it then that the other party leaders, Michal Martin and Leo Varadkar, agreed with Catherine Martin's position last night and with what she was about to do? Well, we're, we're certainly to take it that they knew about it in advance. This was not an accidental interview on, on primetime where... She just happened to be asked a question and suddenly decided to to blurt out uh, a response because she was she was caught off guard. Uh, it was quite clear that Catherine Martin knew exactly what she was doing mm-hmm. uh, last night. 
Also on the line, Labour leader Ivana Bacic. Now she said we needed more information, but she did have question marks around Catherine Martin's position. So you are saying what Malcolm Byrne is saying. You want to see all of these communications between Shu and Nirahalik and the department. And once we see that then, are you saying that you will make a decision on whether to call for Catherine Martin's resignation or are you saying that her position is untenable as of now? Well, as Marie Sherlock has said, it, it appears from what we now know that her position is untenable because it appears that she was, in fact, or, or at least within her department, there was a clear knowledge about the details of the exit packages. Shuni Rahali's statement refers to two lengthy meetings this week dealing with a whole range of issues in the course of which she neglected to recollect this particular issue about the remuneration committee, which she then brought to the department's attention, she says, yesterday. So I think in that circumstance, if that is right, you know, and again, we should see the paper trail. Let's have okay. the paper trail. All right. But it, it appears it's untenable. All right. Thank you very much. So now, let's sing it to make it more fun. We're looking for paper trails. We're looking for phone records. Who knew what and when? Or, as they put it more soberly, on the news at one. Take it away, Brian. First of all, can the Department of Media confirm that it was informed by the RTE chair about that exit package for Richard Collins and or the process which led to his departure from RTE in a phone call or other communication on the 10th of October 2023? Did this communication confirm that Richard Collins' exit package went before the RTE board remuneration committee? And three, was the minister informed about this after the October 10th communication or phone call? Three crucial questions that, if we get answered, will tell us about the state of knowledge within the department in October. Well, I'm not sure if yesterday's events answered all of those questions, but yesterday afternoon, the RTE board met and according to Drive Times, Barry Lenehan, pushback. The board has in the past few minutes released a fresh statement following an emergency meeting this afternoon. The eight board members gathering, including one dialing in virtually from New York to have this meeting. And they have released a statement in which they are essentially this evening, Sarah, fighting back um, against the department, if you will, and against the media minister, Catherine Martin. The RTE board saying that, in fact, the Department of Media was informed of the exit package details for the former Chief Financial Officer Richard Collins that the Secretary General of the Department Kathleen Licken was contacted by Shunni Rahala, the now ex-RTE Chair, directly on October 10th, 2023 by telephone and updated about the meeting uh, that the Remuneration Committee of the Board had and its outcome i.e. that it had approved an agreement with Richard Collins. Hmm, between committees and boards... Your head will be melted. Joining Sarah, Chair of the NUJ, Seamus Dooley. I think the problem last night was the Minister was in the wrong room. I, as a journalist, love drama. But actually, it would have been better if she was sitting across the table from Shuni Rahla and, and, did her, and conducted an interview with all of the facts. I also find it very surprising that having summoned... Uh, the Director General of the Chair to a meeting on Monday, she didn't say to someone in the way into the meeting, by the way, have we all the literature and letters on this? I also find it very difficult to imagine a meeting whereby all of the parties have received correspondence and no one discusses it. And this is part of the chaos, the fine mess, which 
can make great for great headlines, but actually the people I represent are reeling from yet another mm. uh, piece of farce. I think this government collectively needs to grab the funding of public service broadcasting by the scruff of the neck, end all of this and get it over with. Seamus Dooley not pulling his punches. However, at 5pm, Minister Catherine Martin took to the podium for a press conference. She was sticking to her guns. Ray Kennedy in the newsroom brought us this. The Minister for Media, Catherine Martin, has reiterated that she received inaccurate information in relation to the approval of a financial package for the former RTE Chief Financial Officer Richard Collins last year. She again said that incorrect information had been provided at two separate meetings this week by the former chair of the board of RTE, Shuni Rahala, who resigned overnight. Minister Martin said Ms Rahala had contacted her department yesterday to correct the record and that the board's remuneration committee had approved the package last October. At a media conference, Minister Martin said the former Secretary-General of her department hadn't been informed about the approval and if she had, a note would have been taken. I am aware of suggestions that Ms Nirahili had informed the former Secretary-General of my department that the board had approved the exit package for Richard Collins. I discussed this matter with the former Secretary-General yesterday and today to check if this was the case. She has been clear that while she was informed by phone that the independent mediation process on an exit package for Mr Collins had finally reached a conclusion, she has no recollection of being told that it was approved by the Board's Remuneration Committee. From the newsroom, also at that press conference, this on that primetime interview. Needless to say, it would have been my preference not to deal with this matter live on air. This was, however, a pre-arranged interview and given how the situation had evolved yesterday and in the interests of transparency, I felt I had to address the matter. Minister Catherine Martin, so what to make of it all? Well, on drive time, this quite diplomatic analysis from political correspondent Michal Lahan. That is a big difference of opinion uh, between RTE and the minister. Mm-hmm. And I suppose that all signals something quite fundamental, really, despite all the many kind of adversarial exchanges that there have been in the committee rooms here at Leinster House. During this prolonged controversy, there hasn't been a moment really where you've had a full breakdown of relations between the media minister and RTE. And that's what you have this evening. There's no doubt about that. These are two sides with very different versions of events and they really are engaged in a battle uh, that doesn't seem to have an mm. obvious way forward through it. This may run. But let's finish with this rather arch question from Mary to Tommy Meskell. I suppose another potential difficulty now is won't be the most attractive of boards to find another chair for Willett. I, I don't think so. Um, it's ultimately a, a matter now for the media minister to uh, to find a replacement for to chair the RTE board. Mm-hmm. Back in a bit. Welcome back. We are playing Wales later in the rugby, as you well know. Tugging out in green, of course. But a bit of controversy. The Welsh team tugged out in red. And for those with colour blindness, it's an issue. Liveline were all over it. If the jerseys are not distinguishable, then there's no point in watching the match. And the best example, I suppose, I could give you, if I was playing for Ireland, um, I'd have to be dropped because I'd end up passing the ball to the wrong person. <laughs> That's still not my, that I'm going to be in. That's still might happen. 
But anyway, so... so when, when... Well, let's hope not. But earlier in the week, Shane Bergen of UCD had joined Claire with the science behind sight, light and colour. And we have cones in our eyes. We have photoreceptor cells in our eyes that are able to sense three types of colour, red, green and blue. OK, the primary colours. And we can mix those together in different ways in our eyes so that we can sense about 100 different colours. And most of the time, we're not going to argue. The big red light here in the studio is red. And you and I would confirm that the microphone is blue, the banana is yellow, etc. And we just learn these things and we can talk about why they are those colours. But occasionally... We, we get confused. And a couple of years ago in 2015, there was this famous image that came from Scotland. It was on the internet called The Dress. And it was a two-tone striped dress. And some people, about half the population, saw it as black and blue. Yeah. And the other half saw it as white and gold. And that all came down to something called colour constancy, which is basically that when we look at the objects in the world, we don't just see there's a bit of yellow, I'm going to add that in, and a bit of, of blue or whatever. What we do is we look for colours and we look at the contrast of colours that are there. And so our brain does this very complex computation to try and, and put together uh, an image. So, of course, like we, you know, we have to... We, it's very complicated, but I think seeing is still believing, yeah. right? You know, but things like that show you that, the, you know, there is a certain amount of processing that goes on in our brain to interpret colour. And that, right. that's pretty cool. And just in case you needed reminding. Black is the absence of colour and white is, we know now, all of the colours combined. However, here comes texter Kevin with a conundrum. Kevin has been on to us and he would like to know how do they make white paint And I understand why he's asking that question, given what we've said, that white is a mixture of all of the other colours except black. Yeah. And why is milk white and uh, these sorts of things? So white, white, the whiteness comes from when you have a, a, a phenomenon known as scattering. So it's that the white light comes in from the room around you and it it interacts with the particles in the paint or the particles that are suspended in the milk and they create white. Mm -hmm. I have some news, though, for for Kevin, is that the paint isn't white. (laughs) Right. The paint is only white when you shine light on this it. This sheet of paper I'm holding it's up, n- that's not white it's either. It's not white because how would we know if we were in the room here and there were no lights on, what colour would it be? It would, it would have no colour, mm-hmm. right? So it is only white because light is shining on it, right? The same with your banana that you might have with you for lunch today. We think of it as yellow, but is it yellow, right? It's only yellow because of the light it reflects. So white light from the sun or, or the light bulb is shining on it and it absorbs all of the colours except yellow and it sends back the yellow. It reflects the yellow to your eyes. So the light is absorbing all of the colours in this. Uh, it, it is and it's scattering them back in your white page there to you and so okay. you see it as white. Isn't, doesn't it bend your mind to it think of these things? It bend my mind and Kevin in Westport I hope your mind is bending as well as you're listening to that answer. <laughs> uh, another UCD's Dr Shane Bergen bending our minds. On Supercharged, it was all about sleep. And Professor Annie Curtis from the Curtis Clock Lab at the Royal College of Surgeons in Ireland, well, she's an expert in our internal clock. And yes, we're staying with the light and the sun. We live in an environment where the sun rises and the sun sets at very predictable times. So we need a mechanism by which our bodies can almost, it's not reacting to the sun, Um, rising. It's actually anticipating the sun rising. So these things will happen even before we get up. So to give, I suppose, a good example which would relate it back to sleep. 
is there's two hormones that are very important in terms of our function. Cortisol mm-hmm. and melatonin. Mm-hmm. You've probably spoken about cortisol before. Yeah, the old stress I, hormone. But see, cortisol has actually a very natural circadian yeah, rhythm. Yeah, because I've read before we need cortisol. We need cortisol. Cortisol kind of has a bad name. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not that cortisol is bad. It's that our lifestyle is bad and produces cortisol in a very chronic way. Mm-hmm. But what we need to have is a rise in cortisol in the early morning hours to actually get us up. So cortisol is the get you out of bed hormone. Mm-hmm. Okay. You need it to get up, to function. Okay. But then at the opposite um, side of things, we have melatonin. I think even saying the word melatonin is soothing, isn't it? I don't know why, but it really is. People think it's the sleep hormone. Mm -hmm. It's actually not the sleep hormone. It's the hormone of darkness. So melatonin is what tells your body it is time to sleep. And the only time that your body really wants to sleep is when it's dark. But of course, when it is dark, we flick a switch and lo, let there be light. Thus messing up our natural sleep patterns. One way to counter this, more up and at them, morning sunshine. But how much of that do we need? It's a little bit nuanced. If it's a beautiful bright day, probably 30 minutes. Okay. okay. If it's a bit overcast, you may, you may need a little longer. Teenagers and young kids are hugely sensitive to light. You know, so they probably don't even need as much, but they need light for many other things. Okay. Mm-hmm. If you're a bit older, if you've cataracts, all of those issues, you might need a bit longer. So everyone, I think, can benefit from getting out in the morning, you know, and as well as that, if they can, get out in the evening as well. Like maybe late afternoon, you know, Mm -hmm. like four or five o'clock. There's really good science now to show that those two points, the first one is really good for synchronising our clocks. The second one is actually good for helping our sleep. Now, if all of that early up is a little too much... Let's turn to dietitian and nutritionist Orla Walsh. Have a kiwi. Better still, have two. So kiwis have been studied over and over and they contain melatonin, the darkness hormone. (laughs) And um, two kiwis one hour before bed helps us to sleep better. So we go off to sleep quicker. We stay asleep for longer. Kiwi sales go through the roof. Exactly. Hmm, all on supercharged. And of course, keep moving. With Ray, Laura Wynne and Kate Ryan from Aruna Yoga. And can Ray touch his toes? I've taken off my shoes. Wait for it. Show off. Obnoxiously, yes. So just stand up and just see if you can tip your... Not see if you can tip your toes, but just get that sensation. I okay, don't know. Are you yeah. happy to do that? Yeah. And so just notice where you're tight, where you're... All that, and then you can come back up. Thank you very much. Yeah, that was a nice... <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> slowly, slowly, slowly. slowly. <laughs> you don't want to get dizzy on the radio. No. But listen for his reaction when they got him to use this. This is a spiky ball. This is a spiky ball, but you can do it with a tennis ball, you can do it with a golf ball. Right. But the spiky balls, um, a nice spiky ball, lots of people buy spiky balls and they're horrible. But what you're going to do is um, stand, because you can put a little bit more weight through it when you're standing. Okay. You're going to just roll your foot on the ball. And you can do this with a tennis ball, with a dog ball, with like any yeah. kind of a ball. Oh, yeah. So that, that nice, it's that nice, isn't it? Nice, yeah. Isn't it? Yeah. yeah. What's it doing for me now? So if you're thinking of on your foot, it's all, there's not a lot of muscles, loads of ligaments through it. And so can you feel how that's kind of releasing and loosening? Yeah, yeah. And so do it across the whole lot. Make sure now you don't just do where you feel it's good. Also go across the ball of the foot. Yeah. Go across all the toes. Yeah. And then go back down to the heel. Yeah. Go across the arch. <laughs> the arch is where you're going to be. <laughs> You'll see your face now when you go to the arch. <laughs> Oh, yeah. oh yeah, there oh, we yeah, go. Yeah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> the outside edge, the inside edge. So just get the whole foot going. <laughs> <laughs> 
I just, you I look just, like you're enjoying it. I, well, I am. <laughs> and both Kate and Laura are the other side of the desk, just yeah. so people know. My, my foot is on a ball. That's, that's, that's why. About the size yeah. of a tennis ball. Yeah, yeah. And that, now if good. you now just stand with the two feet, just put your two feet, come off the ball now, yeah. just stand with your two feet on, yeah. and you feel the difference in the two feet. Yes, I do, yes. So can you feel that one is much, yes. much wider, much yes. more flat, yes. much yes. more touching the ground, yes. much more connected. 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 It, is. it is more connected. Yeah. It is. That's, it is. that's amazing. And now, before you do the other one, right. you could, now I don't know if you'll notice this because it's different, but you could try and do a, a forward fold and see if you feel the difference in the right and left oh, hand side of the body. Right, okay. Yeah, I can get. Uh, that's mad. I can actually go yes. further down with my right foot, my right with hand. With your right hand. Yes. Just by doing Just that. Just by doing that. Just by doing that's that. That's spectacular. <laughs> <laughs> that is spectacular. Isn't it? And your shoulder, like, obviously, you can't see this on radio, yes. but your whole right shoulder actually drops down lower, all the back through the whole spine, and your neck. I if can you nearly put my hand flat on, on the floor, floor on that side. That, that is. What, a minute? What's going on there? <laughs> that's a revelation. The Darcy. Thunderstruck. Spiky balls for all. On Liveline, disbelief, anger, even outrage. This is such a mean and shabby and tawdry underhand piece of thinking. It's so mean. You said it was mean spirited and that's what it is. I mean, oh, I just, I can't believe like that they have done it. I am disgusted and appalled. Just some of the women who phoned Joe on Tuesday and Wednesday. At issue, a change in the provision of bras and swimsuits for women who've had breast cancer and particularly women who'd undergone mastectomies. It had been the case that a woman was entitled to two special bras a year and a special swimsuit, but that was now cut to just one bra. Here's Alison. She runs a bra fitting service for women who've had mastectomies. I'm a cancer survivor myself, but I do know how that you feel when your body is changes and how important it is to wear the correct underwear. It's not just the physical, it's the mental and to lose, for a lady to lose their breast or both breasts is devastating. And uh, I just, I don't see the logic in this. Now, allowances differed depending on where you lived and the HSC said that this was an attempt to standardise what had been provided across the state. However, that did mean for many women they would not get the same service. Now, you will be pleased to learn this has since been rectified because for women who've gone through traumatic surgery and are in recovery, this kind of service can offer a lifeline. I I don't think they realise uh, what kind of um, effect this is going to have on the ladies. I mean, to see the ladies come in here to me, yeah, I'm doing this yeah. for many, many years. Um, and some of the ladies will ask you actually to cover the mirror. Uh, they don't oh, want to gosh. see themselves. Oh, and to, uh, to to see that is is it's unreal. It's heartbreaking to think that they have fought the force, gone through all their treatments, and they're being given one bra. I mean, surely to God, the risk of infection. Yeah. You know, actually, I, I actually feel too, because the mastectomy fitters were, you know, fitting them, yeah. less people slip through the net. I just don't know what they're actually okay. thinking. I mean, surely to God, they have mothers, aunties, okay. sisters, cousins that are going it's through It's hard this. to believe. It's hard to believe. It is hard to believe. Anyway, Alison, I'm going to leave... And for women who had been through so much... This was not on. Here's Bride. I am shocked, I have to say. I am a cancer survivor. Okay. 
and unfortunately I can't rock up to any shop and just buy any bra. Yeah, yeah, I know that. These bras, they're a necessity rather than anything else. These uh, ladies who supply this service, they mm. make us feel so good about yeah, ourselves. Yeah. That was Tuesday. Wednesday, more calls for more women. Here's Catherine. I was diagnosed with breast cancer in March 2020. Um, I had surgery and that involved removal of a four to five centimetre tumour and more more areas were taken away so that the surgeon would get a clear margin. I then went on to have eight sessions of chemotherapy followed by 23 sessions of radiotherapy. Um, All was going well um, until last year I was actually... but diagnosed with mastitis in the same breast four times within four months. And I learned really that the reason I got mastitis is because I wasn't wearing the correct bra. Ah. And I was also wearing a bra with an underwire, which I shouldn't have been wearing. I was only advised, unfortunately, of the specialist service when I returned to clinic in November of last year. And I was then, and only then, handed a list to say, there Mm -hmm. you go, contact these guys, you can get two bras a year and a swimsuit. I now feel like a, a real woman again, yeah. having a prosthesis and having a bra that fits me correctly. And I guess more importantly, the mastitis has stayed at bay because I'm now in a secure, specially fitted bra. Yeah. And then, two statements. The first from Health Minister Stephen Donnelly. The Minister for Health is aware of the reform procedures for the accessing of post-mastectomy supports put in place recently by the HSE. It was in the last weekend. Nobody announced it, by the way. Uh, he's fully supportive of the provision of these supports to all women, regardless of medical card status. He understands that the threshold of support provided under these new procedures may lead to a number of women receiving less support than previously He has today asked the HSE to amend the procedures to ensure that no woman, either currently availing of the scheme or accessing it in the future, is at any financial loss as a result of these changes. Um, Does anyone to try and interpret that? And then, about 15 minutes later, this from the HSE. Also on the line, Marcella. This is in the last few minutes. We, the HSE, we will review the procedures in relation to the issue in line with what the Minister has said. That's obviously what the Minister said in the last few minutes. Our intention was to standardise the allowances for provision of extremely important post-mastectomy products, including bras and hair loss solutions for people who undergone cancer uh, treatment in Ireland. The previous system was unfair and inequitable. However, we understand the point being made and will review the system quickly to ensure the system is fair to everyone and that no woman is at a loss as a result of changes. So they're saying the previous system was unfair and inequitable. Well, then you should have made it, you should have levelled up for everybody in the world we live in. Instead, they decided to level down dramatically well, surely the answer, the clarity should be in what Simon Harris said seven years ago, saying there will be no changes that will that will disadvantage any woman. There will be well, no Joe, change. What I want to know is why was this not considered before the decision was no. made? How is it, how, I work within the HHS, within the health service myself. I know what it's like making changes. I know cutbacks have to be made. Yeah. I don't understand how they thought that no woman was going to be disadvantaged by this 
changing situation. Um, it's the, a pity, Joe, that such distress and upset has been caused yeah. to a huge amount of people, you know, in the last 24 hours because of this. It's a pity that these decisions weren't properly thought out before the, before this before everybody got worked up. People are in the middle of their mm. treatment. I'm in the middle of my treatment. Mm. I, I, could, I could do without it. Um, you know, and it's not fair that women are being put through this when they're really on their knees at the time that they're on at their yeah. lowest, that they're being put through this, this distress. Really, it's not good enough. OK, OK, Marcella. From Liveline this week. Today marks the two-year anniversary of the start of the war in Ukraine, a war that has killed thousands and forced thousands more to flee their homes. Ireland is now home to more than 104,000 refugees. On Witness last night, Siobhan Garrigan spoke to Father Vassil Kornetsky, chaplain to the Ukrainian community and Donny Carney parish curate. I imagine there's also a lot of ongoing fear and ongoing trauma for the people you minister to because their loved ones in most cases have remained in Ukraine and they don't know what's going on with them. Some of them are fighting. Many of them have been killed and they're experiencing all of that while living in exile. Yes, but you, you know what happens if you are far away from your, from your family, if you, if, you, if you come to Ireland and leave your, your husbands or your family behind in Ukraine, you tend to worry more about them here in Ireland than they do worry about themselves back home. Because, because it's very sad, but you get used to war. You get used to, to the explosions. So you can imagine that even though a lot of people who came from Ukraine to Ireland, they, they, they found their uh, safe haven here in, Ukraine, in Ireland, but they still worry so much about the families left behind in Ukraine. There is that feeling of guilt that I left my own land. It was, it's never a, an easy decision to leave your land behind and your family members behind. And, you know, and after two years, I see how, how we Ukrainians are just emotionally exhausted, mm-hmm. just emotionally drained, because you wake up every single day, and the first thing you do in the morning, even probably before you say your prayers, you check the news from Ukraine. Is my, is my city, is my town okay? Is my village okay back home? Are my parents okay? And it's a very tiring experience. And, and it takes toll on you. Yeah. You know, and it creates a wound. And those wounds are still very fresh, but they need to be healed. Father Vassal Kornitsky, chaplain to the Ukrainian community, on last night's witness. Back in a bit. Welcome back. Perfect Days is the new film from Vim Vendors. It's the story of a man who cleans toilets in Tokyo. Arena reviewers Dee Malumbi and Dave Hanrati, they loved it. This is a genuinely beautiful, beautiful film. And again, if you tell someone it's about a toilet cleaner, they're going to be like, oh, not for me. You need to see this film. Yeah, yeah. Stars from you. Uh, four bordering on four and a half. I really can't stop thinking about it and I can't wait to see it again. Yeah, I feel like four, four and a half for me too. It was just such a like gorgeous movie. I'm still kind of thinking about it. And if there's a film that you see that makes you fall in love with life again, like what does that tell you? Except that it's, it is a perfect day. Wow. And on Tuesday, Sean had spoken to Vim Vendors himself and it was such an interesting conversation. Thoughtful and in its own way, quite beautiful. Uh, The nature of shadow and light, these little shadowy flickers, almost dream sequences that are there in the film, pictures of trees, light breaking through trees. There's a big philosophical discussion about shadow 
at the end of the film. Talk to me, uh, if you would, about that Japanese concept of, if I'm saying the word correctly, komorebi. Komorebi is the light shining through trees and casting this strange little spectacle on the floor or on a wall. And every now and then you see it. It's quite unique. Sometimes it's just very ephemeral. It appears for a few seconds and it leaves again. And very often it's just one person who sees it. And these Komorebi in my book played a part in a big change in, in Hirayama's life. He was a businessman. He was from a privileged background. He had it all, but he was unhappy and he was drinking and he was probably into drugs. And one day he woke up in this stupid hellhole of a hotel, didn't even know how he got there, and realized he was disgusted with his life and there's no sense to it. And looking up from his bed into this ugly little room, he saw something happening just in front of him. Out of nowhere, one light of sun, one ray of sunlight came through the window and threw that little tree, crummy tree in front of the window. And it cast this little komorebi, this little spectacle of light in front of him. And he stopped breathing and just saw it and was shocked that he had never seen anything as beautiful before in his life and that he never noticed. And this was only for him. And the light had traveled from very far out of the universe, from the sun, just for him into this little room. And he realized there was so much beauty and there was such a calmness in his heart as he watches it. He decides he's going to live with that in mind and he's going to change his life. And he became a gardener to be close to trees and light. And one day they offered him the job as the caretaker of the toilets. And that was a great decision in his life. And he's a happy man and because he has a rich life and everything he wants is there. German director Wim Wenders with Sean talking about his film Perfect Days. Meanwhile, with the Darcy, poetry. Actually, rather a lot of poetry. First up, well, she says it best herself. So this is your mine. And actually listening to John Cooper Clark yesterday, the way he goes, this is the title. And then he says, read by John Cooper Clark. I'm going to say, this is your mine, read by John Breerton. I don't want to change it. I sometimes want to rearrange it. I know I'll never fix you, but I might just try to mix you. I could gentrify you, 21st century guy you. I'll gold plate you. I promise I won't slate you. When you're wrecked and feeling blue, I'll prop you up and I'll get you through. I'll stand by you like your man from Greece. I'll electrify you. I only want you. And when I die, I'll probably haunt you because forever I'm yours. And you're mine too. Ah, that's nice. It is. And the previous day, we spoke to John Cooper Clark. And for this English poet, it was all about flogging things. The commissions I take now are really for adverts, advertising jingles, which I love to do that. I mean, that is the greatest practice you can have as a poet. It, you know, it's uh, you've got 30 seconds. Yeah. You've got a certain, a certain amount of information to impart with, uh, with style and, and or humour. So that's a really rigid brief, but it's not restrictive. You know, it kind of, you get focused in and it's, it's great stuff. I've come out, some of my best stuff has been for adverts. I but jingles. sometimes I'm too honest, Ray. I'll give you an example. <laughs> I, was, uh, I was given a job for a, 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 a gin miller because obviously they want to promote 
responsible drinking. <laughs> that, well, that, I didn't do that. Mine went like this. I did I did them a year's supply of 30-second jingles, and they said, no, we can't use any of them. And uh, well, I'll give you a couple of instances. <laughs> uh, when the working week is wearing thin and the afternoon gets under your skin, it's 5.30 somewhere, let the evening begin with... Uh, 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 gin. Chin. Chin, chin. But here's my favourite. This is my favourite. Right. Sorry about this. You're on a roll. No, you're on a roll. All right. This is my favourite. They wouldn't have any of these because yeah. it was too. It was all around getting drunk, yes. which, of course, heaven but heaven forbid. You know, if you don't want to get drunk, what are you doing, what are you doing drinking any kind of gin? Anyway, I could be all day. Don't get me started on this. Same no, no, I, I'd love to have a chat with you about that. But, but listen to this one. Right. This is the this is my favourite. At the public bar of any welcoming inn, he's the geezer with the goofy grin. What got him into the state he's in? Gin. Drink responsibly, people. And yeah, it is too early. Meanwhile, on Tuesday, perhaps Oliver's greatest test so far. The home of the year, judges. So what's your home like? <laughs> oh, okay. It's a home, Amanda. Uh, uh, there are things in it so you wouldn't like it. <laughs> and your red spot? Oh, the red spot is right here, of course. <laughs> oh, sure. Ooh, Amanda, pour that concrete bone. Hugh, just make it velvet, baby. Wallace and Sarah, stop fighting you two, Cosgrove. It was like hurting cats. Why am Amanda's I the best. Sarah is sitting. Yeah, come on. Where's your whistle? Where's your whistle? Get out the whistle. I need my whistle. She needs her whistle. I actually have a whistle. Sarah is right there, and you just said Amanda's your favourite judge. That's okay. Who me? But let's face it; they both know I'm really the only person who knows what I'm talking about. Oh, you see, that's the whole problem. That's the whole problem. White, white, white. It's all the same, you know. There one chair and white. Pattern, pattern, pattern. Let, I know, let's ruin a room. Let's ruin a room. A colour right. that doesn't match. Sorry, I have to else. go, Claire Byrne, here. I'd like one voice at a time, please. Okay. <laughs> now, I'll go back to Hugh, <laughs> the senior person. So you've dispensed with the other judges. <laughs> I've dispensed with the other judges. It's just fabulous. I mean, when what, what amazes me is if somebody describes the house, I can go, I remember that. And and I, I've done mm. 225 homes between Home of the Year and Celebrity Home of the Year. So, but it's an amazing journey. And the three of us are like giddy kids. We've, we've gathered that well, already. No, no, aren't we? When you arrive up at a house yeah. and we're not allowed in, so we all stand oh. outside in the weather with the wind and the rain <laughs> and these two in skimpy little outfits. You know, I love that. Shocking, shocking. Do you know? And and there we are freezing to death. And then we open the door and it's amazing because more than likely when you walk through the door, it's completely different. Isn't that right? Completely different to what you're expecting. Absolutely. That's what's wild. And then a revelation. Amanda Bone on her way out to buy some flock wallpaper. Maybe. I can't believe I'm saying this. I live in a very modern, minimalist home. But every time we filmed a home, I'd walk in the door and I'd stand there going, hmm... This feels a little bit cold. And my partner <gasps> said to me, well, maybe, Amanda, that's because you painted all the walls white. You've got a pale floor. <laughs> and the other thing was all the fluffy beds. Did you notice the oh, duvets and the yeah. pillows? Yeah. So I'm opening the door for my bedroom, standing there looking at my bed going, 
miserable. <laughs> you're judging your own house. Yeah, judging, you're, you're it was home. the first time it happened. And I'm thinking of colours. So you're not turning quite, the dark Not side. quite thinking of wallpaper, but colours. and You're going to paint the house. And fluffiness. And She's turning to the dark something side. Really There's something turning. turning. We'll believe it when we see it. Over on Lyric. You can hear, oh, oh, that bitch. But then there's also this, you know, sound. It can only be culturephile, for which we give praise. And that was Ethiopian-born Swedish vocalist and composer Sophia Jernberg. Do not adjust your radio. Uh, I'm very acoustic in, 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 in everything I do. For example, if you'd hear me do, I could demonstrate something now. Culture file, gotta love it. And on that note, and that is it from this week's playback. Thank you for listening. Talk to you next week.